All right, so we're gonna do some question and answer time. But I wanna let you know that there are, um, excuse me, two rules about Q&A time, okay? Um, the, the first one, I'm trying to remember what the two rules were. Well, what, what the, the, the main rule is that, that it needs to be a question about creation, evolution, something about origins. If you want to ask a question about soteriology or eschatology, and if you don't know what those are, you can talk to Pastor Jim. He'll be able to clear you up. But if it's about something other than the whole origins issue... That question's not for tonight. So things that. doesn't have to be about dinosaurs. Anything about that. The second rule is that your question needs to be in the form of a question. And I'm not kidding. I, sometimes people don't get that one. So I'll, I might interrupt you and say, well, what's your question? So you guys got it? All right. So I know some people are embarrassed to raise their hand and ask the first question. So let's skip the first question and go right to the second one. Who has that? <laughs> yes, young man right here. Yes, ma'am. Yes, ma'am. Uh, sir. S- sir, sorry. Um, how was God created? He was there since the beginning when there was really nothing. All right, so her question was, how was God created? He was there from the beginning, and that's a really good question. God is eternal. He always was, and he always will be. So he is not a created being. He is the God over all of the universe. It, I will agree, it's hard to understand. But you know what? If you, if, as, you, as you get older and older, you're going to understand that there is a God. I'm not saying that you don't now, but I'm just saying there is a God, and the God is eternity. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. He always has been. He always will be. Does that make sense? That's what the Bible tells us. Anything to add to that, Pastor Jim? Well, it, it comes down to faith. It comes down to faith. Uh, and that's where we don't always see what we think we should know. And so God, we can't see. So can you see a, a dinosaur? Have you seen a dinosaur? Well, Have you ever seen a live dinosaur? No. So you're, you're taking faith in the pictures you're seeing. So that, that means you believe. So you're, you're expressing a faith that what you're actually seeing existed at one time. So none of us, has anybody here seen Jesus? Has anybody in here physically seen Jesus? No. So Jesus existed 2,000 years ago. We have pictures of him, not photographs, but pictures, art drawings of him. And so by faith, we believe that Jesus existed. We have historical evidence that Jesus existed. We have witnesses that Jesus rose from the grave. Over 500 people saw Jesus after his death. So it basically comes down to faith. And, and are, did you come with parents tonight? Yes? Talk to your parents more about faith. Faith is very, very important. Uh, you had, when you sat in that chair, did you worry about sitting in that chair? Did you worry that that chair was going to collapse and fall apart? See, we have faith. And when you go out to your car this, tonight, your parents are going to have faith that when they turn the key, the car is going to start. If it doesn't, does it mean they don't have faith? No. Just the battery's dead or alternate or something like that. So we all live by a certain amount of faith. 
But then there's doctrinal faith or faith that is eternal. And that's where God comes into place, where we believe he exists by faith. And so talk to your parents more about it. I mean, we all have that question. Yeah, and it's a, it's a great question. By the way, chapter one in the answers book does talk about that very question. So you can get even more information in there too. It's a very, it's a very good question. Okay, another question. Samir? Reagan wants to know if, <laughs> if, there, if, if in the beginning did God create like two of every animal or did he create like a lot of different animals? Like, yes, he created two of every kind of animal. Male and female, he created them. That's what the Bible says. Just so it, very similar to like what was on the ark. Remember all the animals that were not on the ark, but there was two of every kind, male and female. Oh, well, except there were seven of every kind of the clean animals, but mostly it was two of every kind. So the answer is yes, there were two of every kind. So God didn't create just two males or just two females? <laughs> Are you really going to no, go this, there? No, that's very important. It's very important because this, no. this is a generational issue. That, that no, no. I have 14 grandchildren, so we have to address this issue. I can tell you that so. if he had, we wouldn't be here. And that's scientific? That's very scientific. It's not just feelings? No, correct. Okay. Yes. Okay. And that's very important for you young people to understand that. That God created male and female right. very specifically. And that goes back to DNA. DNA. Yeah, deoxyribonucleic acid. Exactly. I was going to say that, but I didn't like it. <laughs> <laughs> You're the science guy, not me. Yes. Nice and loud, please. And I'll, I'll repeat it. Who wants to? Right here. Okay, did God create dinosaurs as predators? Okay, I think that's... Huh? Um, did God create something to eat dinosaurs? Oh, to something to eat dinosaurs. Mm, um, <laughs> no, the, t- the T-Rex is often considered to be the pinnacle and everything. But we also have, we also have predators today that are considered to be, like in, in, the, in the oceans, I believe the great white shark is considered the prime predator. So there are some today, but there's very few of them. Um, so that would be the answer. However, I'm going to answer a, a question that you didn't ask, the one that I started asking, and that is God did not create predators per se at all. He created animals in the beginning to not kill because it was a perfect paradise. Now, after the fall, when death came into the world, okay, then predation or predators started happening, and there was killing and death after that. And so animals became predators. You've done a lot of these, right? How many times have you spoken in, in front of groups? How many, roughly? 20 times? 100 times? Uh, I would say I'm at about 750 times right now. Okay, let's, does anybody else have a, have a really specific question? Okay, way in the back. Because what I was going to ask you to do is you probably have a list of some really good questions <laughs> that, uh, that you could ask yourself and would give us a lot of great information. Because people ask the same, same question, right? Wouldn't that be kind of weird for me to ask myself? Que- no, I'm sorry. <laughs> 
So my question is, um, back in 05, when they had found the, the red blood cells and all the tissue that was um, soft and all that, what is the argument from a secular scientist view when that, ha when that happens? What do they say uh, as far as how that cannot live for billions and billions of years? Awesome question. What they really say is as little as possible, and I'm not trying to, be, to make fun of that, but they haven't really truly addressed it. What they do is they say that the reason that these tissues are preserved is through iron chelates. Iron meaning blood, very rich, iron-rich blood. That's what they call chelates. And if you watched, uh, 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 yeah, come on, what's the movies? Jurassic Park, I don't know if it's number two or three, they actually address that, just subtly going over there. I remember I was in, you know, watching the movie, because, come on, those are pretty cool dinosaurs in the movie, you gotta, you gotta admit. But they said, oh yeah, that's preserved because of iron chelates. And I really quick, my kids were there, and I was going, I know what that is, I know what that is. So, that, so, but here's the thing, we can't experiment to see if it works a long time, and those iron, blood does deteriorate. So it's not a very good, uh, reasoning, so they usually keep pretty much quiet about it because they haven't quite figured it out. Well, that is their excuse, is the iron chelates, yes. Go ahead, sir. Pick somebody there. So I know that you said uh, that there's, that Noah took different types, like the same type of animal, like dinosaurs or dogs. It all comes from one uh, specific kind of that dog, right? So, yeah, that's like species. Is it the same for humans? Like, how did we like there become different colors of humans as they're different? Like, super, super good question. All right, so we'll, let's go back. So, the, yes, there would have been one dog kind created originally as well as one dog kind on the ark. It would have been wolf-like. And as it had offspring and as they adapted to their environment using natural selection and random mutations, those are scientific facts, they would adapt to their environment and take on specialties. In the case of dogs, humans have had a part in making dogs kind of funny looking. I own a, uh, a dog called a puggle. I don't know if you guys have heard of it, but basically he's got his nose smashed into his face and he can't hardly breathe very well. So there are things that humans have done. Um, and then the other thing you asked about was dinosaurs. There would have been about 50 kinds of dinosaurs, we estimate. Uh, so about 100 of them on the ark and about 50 kinds of dinosaurs created in the beginning. But your main question was, where did all the different kinds of people come from? Okay, I'm ready for that one. All right, so... So basically what, we, what we're talking about is, I have an entire presentation on this, but I'll try to summarize as best as I can. Um, yes, your question was, was there original kind? Yep, Adam and Eve. And within the DNA, within the genetic code of Adam and Eve, came all the fair, physical characteristics that we have in the world today. There's different shapes, sizes, and colors of people today, okay? And probably they would have been medium brown skin, very similar to what 70% of the population of the world is today. And they would have had, um, I wish I had my computer uh, up here, but I don't. Um, they would have had maybe a dark skin baby and then a light skin baby and then one in the middle and then another one and another one. They had all of that genetic diversity within them. And I have some awesome pictures of two-tone twins that unfortunately I can't get back to my, compu my computer to show you what we would call a black baby and a 
white baby that are twins, and it happens about once a week in the world, every, every week. There's something like that. And if I had the picture, you'd all go, oh, and you'd, you'd, you'd think it was really cute and everything because they are really cute kids. But that, that's what happens. So now what happened is, is that at the Tower of Babel, okay, you guys remember that story? Okay, it's the Tower of Babel. This was after the flood. Okay, they all stayed in one place. Even though God commanded them to go out through the world and multiply, they kind of stayed in one place and they built this tower in order to reach God. They thought they could. But God, what he did is he said he confused their language and they broke into people groups. And not soon after that, they talk about these different people groups and they migrated into other parts of the world. And as those people would reproduce amongst themselves, then the physical characteristics that were prominent in those original groups would continue on. And as they stayed an isolated group, yes, some might have dark skin, some might have curly dark hair, some might have light hair, depending upon where they were. We actually have a pretty good idea of what parts of the world that those things came from. Did I confuse you or did you kind of understand? Along that line. So here is the thing. I want to let you know that in the answers book, we have a chapter called, Where Did the Races Come From? It's right in here. And that's going to explain it to you. In fact, we have about three entire books on that subject that people are asking. But the, but the main thing that you need to understand is that, uh, okay, here, here's, here's a good idea. Um, does anybody have a white piece of paper? That's fine. Okay. Uh, if I stole your wife's purse and you reported me to the police and you were giving a description, what would you say that I was as far as skin color? You'd say I was white. Am I white? No. I'm actually a very light brown. That's because there's a pigment in my skin. It starts with the letter M. Melanin is the name of the pigment. How many people in this room have the pigment Melanin. Everybody raise your hand because it's true with every single one of you. The only people that don't are people that have a very rare uh, um, uh, mutation called albinism or being an albino. And I can see enough people here that I know that there are no albinos in this room. Okay? I think. But anyhow, everybody has this dark brown pigment in their skin. Some people have a little. Some people have a lot. Okay? There actually are, hold on, there are no black people. There are very brown people. There are no white people. There are very light brown people. Okay? We actually, there's one skin color. Just different shades of the same color. And guess how many races there are according to the Bible? There's one human race created by God, descended from Adam and Eve. Okay? Anything to add, Pastor Jim? Or? Okay. Scott, good, good evening. Um, on the topic of um, evolution, does CMI distinguish, biblically speaking, the difference between microevolution, which was what you discussed, versus macroevolution, which is really the source that we think of evolution from the secular world? That's what they kind of use to kind of argue what Christianity is all about. Sure, that's an excellent question. Um, if you, we, we have one of our most visited articles on our website is arguments creationists should not use. And one of them is the microevolution versus macroevolution. So why? The reason we do that is because it's confusing because when you say microevolution and macroevolution, they're both evolution. So what we prefer to do is talk about change or variations 
or adaptation to an environment. So here's the thing. Yes, natural selection does create new, interesting things through, through uh, as creatures adapt to their environment, they do change to some extent, but there's a limit to the change. That's what you're calling microevolution. We prefer not to call it because when you talk to an unbeliever, they're not going to be able to different. So we talk and we say, yes, there is change within kinds, not within species, within kinds. Okay, so you might have finches. For example, Darwin went to the Galapagos and he found three, 13 different kinds of finches, some with different size beaks, different colors of their feathers. Those were all finches. They all came from a, a common ancestor that came from South America, came onto the island, and as they adapted to different types of 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 weather and conditions on the island, depending upon whether the nuts were really hard or really soft, they developed new characteristics. So yes, change happens, but the question is, can you take it from a finch to actually, let's just say, you know, or can a dinosaur turn into a bird? No, there's a limit to how much change can happen. So natural selection and random mutations are scientific fact, and they fit within the biblical model. Does that kind of answer the question? Okay. Okay, so um, you mentioned uh, behemoth um, and what you think it might be, but what do you think Leviathan was? Oh, good question. We actually have, um, we have a, a, a book that I didn't bring with me called uh, Monsters, you created Monsters, and there is an extinct crocodilian-type creature that has a bulbous... It, so think of a crocodile with really big nostrils sticking out on the side. And by the way, we have some dinosaurs that have that same characteristic. Um, it starts with an S, and it's a really long word. It's a marine reptile. And that is what we believe is the best candidate for, for uh, Le- Leviathan because of his, the, the way his scales and, and his armor on on the back. We have fossils of him. He doesn't exist anymore. But we believe that he's the best thing. Leviathan is kind of like a platypus. He's made up of a lot of weird things. One of the things it talks about breathe or, or, or having flames or smoke come out. Well, that could be described by these two chambers that are inside this creature's nostrils. Uh, today, there's a creature called a bombardier beetle that has two chambers, and it mixes two chemicals and is able to shoot out, f- not flames, but, but a liquid that's so hot, it's, it's uh, hotter than boiling water. And those chemicals, and it's a very complex system that allows it to do that. What if this creature that I just described that starts with an S and has a really long name that I can't remember the name of, what if it could do that same thing with those two chambers, very similar to what the beetle has? So does that kind of answer the question? I'm sorry, I can't remember the name. I used to have it memorized just like I have deoxyribonucleic acid. But the only reason I have that said and can say deoxyribonucleic acid is to make you think that I'm smarter than I really am. All right, I have another question. So, like, back to some people think that, like, chickens evolved from dinosaurs because some T-Rex had feathers. Is that true? Right. A lot of people believe that birds evolved from dinosaurs. That is a very common thing. But there are some really big problems with that. One thing is uh, dinosaurs have solid bones. Birds have hollow bones. They need to be lightweight in order to to fly. 
uh, dinosaurs have bellows lungs, which are the kind of lungs that we have that has a diaphragm that brings up. Birds do not have that kind of lung. They have a very specialized lung that actually breathes in a loop. It's a, a unidirectional uh, air. So it doesn't like breathe in and breathe out with, with a bellows pushing the lungs back and forth. It has a very, very specific, because birds have like in general the highest metabolism of any creature on the planet. Ask a hummingbird. All right? They can do amazing things. And the differences between those lungs and the dinosaur lungs, there's no evolutionary explanation how they could do that. On top of that, uh, dinosaurs are covered with scales, which are modified folds in the skin, while better birds have feathers. There's nothing even closely related. There have been collagen fibers found with some uh, dinosaurs, but they're not feathers. And so there, there is a lot of debate on there. If we did discover maybe a dinosaur that might have had some feathers on there, which technically we haven't gone to one that's conclusive, it doesn't change that God could have created something like that. But it's pretty far-fetched to think that anything, any dinosaur could actually evolve into a bird because there are too many dangers. Oh, also, these are cold-blooded. These are warm-blooded. Slow metabolism, the fastest metabolism. There's tremendous difference. And a guy named Alan... I'm going to blow his last name, Fiducci, or something like that, who is the number one bird ex- expert at North Carolina University, says there is no way birds evolve from dinosaurs. And he is the, the number one bird expert in the United States, and he said it didn't happen. Uh, yeah, um, so scientists today say that there are about 8.7 million species, uh, very, very confidently. Um, and supposedly around 16 million species uh, in the world today. Um, and my question is, uh, as creationists and believers in the flood, um, having about 2,000 species on the ark, uh, from then to now, about 4,000 years, uh, running in numbers would be about six new species per day. Um, as you know, believers in the flood, how do we uh, kind of account for that? All right, and actually the number that that most creationists would say would be between two and 8,000 different uh, kinds, not species, kinds of animals on the ark with a total of a a maximum of about 16,000 in order to get all the biodiversity that we have today. So just taking an example that people in the room can understand dogs, if there was one kind of dog that right now I don't know how many breeds there are now. It's like, I mean, can you count them? I don't know. But they, they've, they've got like thousands of species of mosquito. And the differences between them are insanely small. Okay? And they would be all the created kind. Okay? So species is a man-made term. And any time a scientist discovers a new species, they get a grant. They get money for that. Or they get to name it after their themselves or somebody else. So there is, there is a big benefit to being a scientist and discovering a new species. But like, for instance, just taking, for example, Darwin's finches, those 13 species, they're, they're all finches. And there's many more finches that are just like them. And just because it has a little white spot on the, on the center of the wing versus a red spot underneath the wing, we would just say those are just variations within a kind. And so basically, there's not species being created, however many you said per day. There's species being named and uh, found, not created. That's not happening. Does that make sense? Awesome.
So consider you all the other dino, dinos. What about the megalodon? What about the Nephilim, did you say? Megalodon. Oh, Megalodon. You mean, okay, Megalodon is not a dinosaur. Obviously, Megalodon is a uh, really, really big shark. I actually own two Megalodon teeth, one of which is five and a quarter inches long, which is almost about as big as they've come. But like I said, I can't bring my entire fossil collection. Megalodon teeth are actually pretty easy to come by. Um, But anyhow, Megalodon was about 60 feet long. He was basically a great white shark, except imagine one 60 feet long, and that would be the majority of the length of this room. His, his mouth opened up to be about seven feet in diameter. That would be like those double doors. And if he were alive today and weren't extinct, I wouldn't even think of going surfing. <laughs> so anyhow, but what was the... Did I, I don't know if I answered the question. What about Megalodon? A really big shark, and there's no doubt about his existence. He existed, and he was one. And by the way, there was a lot of animals. That were, there were sloths that stood nine feet tall. There were dragonflies with three-foot wingspans. You ever been near a dragonfly, and they go, Ring. can you imagine that one? I don't know what it would sound like. So there were a lot of animals that were much bigger in the past, but they also had more difficulty surviving, so they've gone extinct. Um, are turtles and crocodiles dinosaurs? Well, that's actually not a bad question. Uh, technically, no, they're not. I mean, obviously, they are, uh, uh, you know, somewhat related. There are some similarities, but dinosaurs, by definition, are all land animals. If you've ever heard of a of a uh, marine dinosaur, technically, they're not dinosaurs; they're marine reptiles. But they're all land animals, and one of the things they have in common is they have columnar legs. What that means is they support all their weight on legs like this. Anytime the legs go out like this, okay, they become a different kind. So that's where you get your crocodiles. Your turtles, which turtles are nothing like a crocodile. They're not even closely similar. They're, they're way too many different supreme. But no, they're not dinosaurs. They would be an absolutely a different created kind. Lots of turtles in the world, but probably only a few created kinds. I got a question because I yeah. keep forgetting this. Um, we're missing a Bible. NLT, right, Andrew? NLT. It's a pocket Bible. It was behind the coolers. Uh, it was behind the Coke cooler, the Coca-Cola water cooler. So if anybody had that or seen that, we'd appreciate you bringing that after it's all said and done. Okay. Yeah, we already asked. You already asked one. Um, there's a species known as the Yangchuanosaurus. It's about the same size as the T-Rex. Is that... Are those the same species, or is there actually a difference? Well, that's a good question. I can't say that I specifically know of that species. However, there are a number of T. rex kind that that have been discovered where they say they're all different species, but when you just start looking at them and seeing their differences, you can see that they probably had, they were probably one of the created kinds that that were on the ark that, that differentiated a little over time. You know, just like there's short people, tall people, and different shapes and sizes and everything, the same thing's going to happen with dinosaurs. So if you take uh, a mom and a dad that are short, they're likely to have a short child, while a mom and dad that are tall are more likely to have a tall child, okay? Same thing would happen with dinosaurs. They're going to differentiate as they adapt to their environment. 
Um, if dinosaurs were still alive, would there be um, a different, like, if dinosaurs were still alive, would there be a different evolution? Well, I know one thing, if dinosaurs would still be alive, I think it would be awesome. <laughs> I think it would be awesome. Yeah, we'd be scared of those big, big dangerous ones. But we've got a lot of dangerous animals that exist today that, can be, can be, uh, that are pretty scary. Uh, but if they were alive today, uh, there wouldn't be a different evolution. It would there would just be a different explanation of how they were able to survive whatever it was that, 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 uh, there are some people that are called cryptozoologists that believe the dinosaurs still exist. Uh, our PhD staff and pretty much all creationists would agree. We've searched the world high and low. We, there are now really no parts of the world that people haven't been in. We've seen it all. No dinosaurs. Um, my question is, why did God make dinosaurs if he knew that they were going to exist? Oh, if he knew that they were going to go extinct? Um, well, he created a lot of animals, not just dinosaurs that went extinct. And here, here's the thing. God created, like we said, he created a perfect paradise where there's no death, no sorrow, no pain. That was the way it was supposed to be. But at the fall, things started falling apart. And not only did people die, but animals died. In fact, it says that even the earth is groaning in pain. That's part of why we have earthquakes and hurricanes and things that are destructive okay so at the fall yes things died and that is part of the uh part of the the curse or the punishment for sin is that things died including the dinosaurs okay so he created a lot of things but a lot of things have gone extinct trilobites i mean we, we could go on in fact there's probably more species that have gone extinct that are even alive today a lot of creatures have gone extinct Besides the dinosaurs, lots. Here we're going to wrap it up. Two more questions. Okay. Okay, so earlier you said like that um, the scientists believe that dinosaurs and men were separated by time instead of moving together. And apparently that was wrong. So is there like many more scientific theories that are wrong? Like, for example, carbon dating? <laughs> um. Yeah, I mean, yes. So in other words, you're saying that scientists uh, believe that there was millions of years between dinosaurs and man. And so are there, if, if they believe that, are there other things that the scientists get wrong? Is that your question? Sure. And scientists have gotten a lot of things wrong in the past too. A lot of things that we know now. Science is something that should be testable. It's repeatable. It's observable. Okay. So the question isn't whether dinosaurs and man were separated by millions of years. It's their interpretation of the evidence that's based on a worldview. Remember, the glasses that they use is that there is no God. Evolution is a fact. And we must have millions of years in order for evolution to work. It can't be something. And so they interpret everything based on their worldview of millions of years. And no, they do have that wrong. And the, and you asked a really big question, is carbon dating wrong? That's actually a chapter in our answers book. We, we talk about that. Um, but radioisotope dating does not give a date. It's measuring the, the parent to the daughter isotope. But let, let me, okay, let, I'm going to give you a quick, a quick uh, little uh, 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 answer to radioisotope dating. Okay, let's say that, um, sir, when you come home tonight, you come home and the water's running in your house. You hear the, the pipes like that, like a lot of water, right? Panic, am I right? 
a pipe's broke, something's gone wrong. So you run into your house, you go up to the second floor, and in the bathroom up there, in the bathtub, water's coming out of the faucet full force. No one's home. You just got home. What is going on, right? So what you do, you're a man of science, so you pick up your one-gallon pail that you just happen to have next to the, the uh, bathtub. I want everybody to listen to this because I'm going to ask you a question. And you hold that one-gallon pail underneath the faucet, and it takes exactly 60 seconds to fill up that one-gallon pail with a faucet. Then you measure the amount of water that's in the tub, and you find out there's 15 gallons of water in the tub. Now, can you and everybody else in this room tell me how long did it take to put that much water into the tub? 15 minutes. You were very logical. However, you made a lot of assumptions, ladies and gentlemen. One thing you assumed, that there was no water in the tub when it started. You also assumed that nobody had taken any out or taken any in. You also assumed that the water was flowing at that rate the entire 15 minutes. Nobody was playing with the knob going back and forth. Nobody took the drain and pulled it up and pulled it down, and there were no cracks in the tub leaking water. You assumed none of those things, that, that none of those things happened. Am I correct? correct? Okay. Young man, the assumptions that scientists use in order to do radioisotopes dating are exactly that. And we have three lines of evidence that show that the decay rate of radioisotopes accelerated in millions of times faster sometime in the past. We believe that it was during the flood. We don't know that. We don't have a way of going back and checking the video. But the evidence shows that the decay rate was faster at one time, which throws those, those radioisotope dates. And you guys remember me showing you the example of the... Uh, of the uh, volcanic lava dome sample sent, and they got all those different rates ranging from 350 to 2.7 million from the same sample, but it was actually 10 years old. It was wrong. So the assumptions they use in doing those tests have a flaw, and that's what you guys can find out in the answers book in the chapter called What About Carbon Dating? Okay, I guess we have one more question. Last question. That was your question. What? All, right, All right, good. Well, that takes care of that. Can I just Absolutely. kind of do a quick conclusion? Um, do you mind if I use you as maybe a, you can help me with an illustration? Um, the information that you guys can glean from some of the resources we have can change lives. It can change the way people understand the Bible, where maybe they believed evolution was a fact, and you can change their mind, and it can have an eternal impact. But there are two ways that you can go about doing it, okay? One way, if you don't mind me using it as an example, like I, I usually pick the middle seat on the airplane. The reason I do that is because I have two people to talk to about this subject. <laughs> I found scientifically that one out of those two people is going to put the universal symbol of don't talk to me, which is put earplugs in. <laughs> But the other one might do it, and I try to start out with a, with a nice question. But the thing is, is that I might say, oh, so you believe evolution, huh? Well, let me tell you about polystrate fossils. Let me tell you about carbon dating. Let me tell you about the millions of years. Let me tell you about, about where fossils come from. I want to let you know I've read the answers book, and I can win the argument. But if I have that attitude, am I going to win the person? You remember that verse I gave you, 1 Peter 3.15 says, Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But I left out the last part. But it says do it with gentleness and respect. So instead, I might approach you like this. So, what do you do for a living? 
He's an insurance salesman, just for my... You're an insurance salesman. Oh, that's fascinating. Tell me about your work. Oh, and I am so interested in insurance sales. <laughs> but maybe he's going to say, well, what do you do for a living? Oh, I work for an organization that looks at the physical evidence in the world and shows how it supports the historical account of the Bible. Well, okay, right now I'm, got, you know, I'm starting a conversation. And, 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 you know, and maybe he says, yeah, well, I believe evolution. I'm going to go, hey, you know, I know a lot of people that believe evolution. I'm just curious. What are the specific facts that convince you that evolution was true? Now, I'm going to listen to his answers, and I'm going to show him respect, because he's not stupid, okay? He's heard one side of the story, perhaps. Now, I am going to gently and respectfully have a conversation with him, giving him some information, maybe even some tracks and brochures that we publish, so that by the time we land, he's going to shake my hand. And my goal is for him to say, thank you for that conversation. You've given me something to think about. And I'm going to give him information. Okay? So my point is, do get equipped with this information. It's vital for both your friends, your neighbors, your children, grandchildren, co-workers to know the gospel. But make sure you do it with gentleness and respect. The people that you're talking to have just not heard the other side. They're not, un- they're not ignorant. Well, they are ignorant of the other side, but they're not unintelligent. Be respectful and loving to them because it is about their eternal salvation. Okay, you guys? Thank you very much. Well, thank you all for coming out. It was a great day, and uh, God is so good. Um, Scott's going to stick around for a little bit if you want to visit out in the lobby or look at any literature. Father, we thank you for this night. We thank you for your goodness, your faithfulness in our lives. We thank you that we can ask questions. Nothing wrong with asking questions. We thank you that your word uh, gives us all the answers that we need, especially for eternal life. So, Lord, we just ask your blessing upon the rest of our evening, and we pray for this week. I pray for those uh, going to school that you bless them, give them strength, give them wisdom and discernment. Uh, We thank you for our jobs that you've given to us, Lord. Help us to be faithful, good stewards of the time, to be good witnesses for you. And we thank you for uh, the lives that you allow us to live with family members and neighbors. Bless this week. Use us for your glory. In Jesus' precious name, amen, amen. Thank you for coming, guys. God bless you. Have a blessed week.